This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Did you know that using DistroKid's promo card feature, you can create easy customizable graphics to promote your Spotify release? You can upload a personalized design to appear with your music that you've released through DistroKid on Spotify. This is also a great way to promote your release and drive increased shares, streams and saves of your music. This is a free feature for all DistroKid members. Take advantage of this awesome function and so many more by using our DistroKid discount link, distrokid.com slash VIP slash MPW. Uh, what was this is MPW, 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 the podcast with your host, Silo Aria. Cool. A podcast about music production for the everyday musician, where we learn from experienced studio engineers and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the MPW podcast. I'm your host, Zylo Aria, and today we are super lucky to be talking to the incredible Drum and Lace. So Drum and Lace is a composer, a sound artist and performer who specializes in creating music for visuals and has worked on a variety of projects, including scoring for uh, an NBC show called The Good Girls, HBO documentaries, commercials, fashion films, and so much more. So great to have you here today. Of course. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Oh, lovely. And so you're in LA and it's 2 p.m. So how's your morning and day been so far? You know, it's been good. It's been a little bit sleepy because it's actually been raining yesterday and today. So I feel like you get so used to the sunshine when you live in LA that when you don't have that, it's just, it's kind of hard. You know, it's like just being foggy brained all day. So I've already had two coffees and I like thought about having another one and I was like, no, no, no. Like, it should be fine. I'll get a second wind. But, but you know, it's been a Monday morning just catching up on a lot of emails and stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, lovely. Well, I have no sympathy for your one one day of rain. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. All right. So we'll be talking a bit more about kind of sound for, for visuals. Uh, but, yeah, I'd love to hear about, you know, how you got to where you are today. Uh, so I'm from Florence in Italy. I don't know. I feel like I was always the the music kid, you know, growing up. I was always either singing or trying to learn guitar or, you know, playing piano because that was important to my grandmother because she liked to p- play piano. So she got me lessons when I was in elementary school and um, they didn't really stick. I mean, I there's a lot of what I learned then was important for now, but, you know, I never got to any sort of level of anything But so, you know, I graduated from this very small school and I went to an international school and high school and, and, you know, I graduated, I'd gotten pretty good grades and, you know, things like biology and at the time kind of just applied to a bunch of colleges and I knew that I wanted to try to go to the U.S. So I applied to a bunch of colleges and one of them was Berkeley College of Music. And the only reason why I even knew that that was a thing was because I'd had the luck to visit uh, Boston the year before, the summer before with my family and we just like walked by it because it's in a, you know, kind of in a part of Boston that's kind of touristy. And I was like, oh, what's this place about? And I applied and I got in and I went originally thinking that I was going to go to be a vocalist. And I got there and, you know, you're so used to being the big fish in a small pond because I, you know, being the music person growing up that then I got to Berkeley and you realize that it's just a ton of the same big you know, fish in a small pond, but now you're at the tiniest of fish in the biggest of ponds. And 
that I just wasn't really cut for, you know, what it took to be a performance major at Berkeley. So I was all the way, you know, so far from home. And I was like, well, I love film. And there's this degree called film scoring. Because to be completely honest, I hadn't thought too much about film scores, hadn't really thought about music and films that much apart from songs. Mm. And it just seemed like something that, you know, I was like, well, my parents are paying so much money, I better get my money's worth out of this education. So I kind of fell into film scoring and immediately kind of fell in love with it. That was my first introduction to it. And I graduated and then, you know, you're kind of given the option or, you know, you're kind of given this idea that like LA is the place to go. But at the time, it just didn't really seem like the right fit. So I wound up applying for grad schools um, just because I also graduated in 2008 and there was no opportunities for visas for foreigners. And I was like, well, if I want to stay in the U.S., I'm going to have to try to go to, you know, get a master's or do something else. So I did that and did something completely different and worked in, um, got a master's in music tech and 3D audio and acoustics. And it wasn't until I was done with that that I was like, you know, I f- and working at a at a company for a year and a half, two years after that, doing in-house composition and sound design that I was like, you know, my husband and I felt like we were ready to come out to LA and try to do the thing. And, you know, now I've been here for seven years and it's it's been a journey of, you know, getting gigs and figuring stuff out and, and whatnot. But thankfully, things seem to be um, panning out. <laughs> so... Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that you kind of started off in performance and and then moved into film. And I think that's really, uh, it's an amazing thing to know that something is actually not really for you and to move into something else. Because I think a lot of people, when they start something, they're like, oh, I'll just kind of see it through. But like, I don't know if I'm really liking it. But to to kind of identify that and find something else that feels a bit more you to do that. I think that's, that's really great. Yeah. You know, you, I grew up with, you know, the, the big pop stars of the moment, the Britney Spears and all of that. And I think it was just really easy as a kind of impressionable teen to be like, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to be mm. pop star. or I want to be, you know, in my mind, I wanted to be the next Janis Joplin, you know, like I wanted to you know, in, in that kind of more like blues, bluesy um, thing. And it's just, you realize that I think it takes a certain degree of exhibitionism to be that kind of performer. And I think it wasn't until Berkeley that I was confronted with people that had that charisma. And I was like, I, that's not me. And I love being behind the scenes. I love Mm. the kind of how, where I'm at right now. And it's like, it's, it's great. (laughs) It works really well for me. So you're, you're totally Mm. right. Yeah. Right. Is LA surrounded by people like that. I mean, that's kind of the impression that you get from not being there. Yeah. I mean, when we used to go, you know, when people used to go out to eat, I feel like half of the waiters that you usually have are actors or people that are trying to get into the industry. But I hate to say like physical attribute type roles, but, you know, ultimately, like, I think that that's but yeah, so LA is just kind of full of people that are in the film and music industry at this point. It's inevitable, I think. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. And I've seen a few uh, of your performances and things. Uh, um, and I've noticed that, you know, you seem very at home with technology and especially with uh, things like modular synths and, you know, so many things going on around you. And, you know, as someone producing music, 
but you know, still finding things like modular sense, I, I find quite intimidating personally. You know, how did you get introduced uh, into that? Was that through your degree, or was it kind of earlier on in in your life? It was definitely. I feel like it was compared to the kids now, uh, pretty late because I actually when I got to college. Um, and I, I've told the story not numerous times, but the only class that I nearly failed my first year was music technology, just because I I had this kind of like guttural, like, you know, when, when you're so scared of failing at something that you just like don't even want to do it. Like, that's kind of how I felt about technology in general. And it wasn't until I started dating my now husband, who was in a band that played a lot of synths, that um, I kind of got to play with synthesis. And that was the beginning of it. And then I clearly remember... I can't remember what version it is, but I remember really well, like downloading and starting to play with Ableton. Yeah. And I think that really helped because Pro Tools just didn't feel right for creation for me at the time, even though I'd learned how to use it in school. And I think Ableton and just starting to use synthesis within that. And then, you know, you slowly branch off to analog. And then all of a sudden it's like I started a few years ago using semi-analog. And then you start to kind of grasp the concept of that. And now... I've jumped into Eurorack, but, you know, I'm still, compared to a lot of people out there, I'm, I've just scratched the surface, you know. I feel like a lot of the times it's what sounds really cool are happy accidents. I mm. really, really admire anyone who could come over and be like, so this is doing this to this circuit, you know, like the people that are really dense about, like, I'm definitely not that. So um, I think it's just I make it work for me, and I mm. think that that's the biggest thing. Like, technology should be helpful. So it's like, yeah. as long as you can find a way to make it work for you, like, that's all you really need to know. Like, I don't need to worry about the fact that I don't know everything because that's how mm. I used to be. I used to be like, if I can't know everything about it, then I don't want to do it. Yeah, right. That's actually so comforting to know because I think when you, uh, or, you know, when I first looked at modular scenes and, and stuff and I'm like, similar thing to what you said is like, if I don't understand how all this circuitry works, then I'm just not going to use it. But it's good that, you know, that it's something that many people might not know but still make kind of incredible things with it. And it's just a matter of starting and, and uh, allowing those happy accidents, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and it's all, it's just, I think mu so much of music is just a muscle. So mm. the more you use it, you know, it's, um, I get a lot of people reaching out on Instagram being like, oh, I want to get into producing especially um, younger women who are like, I want to start producing my own music. Like, what should I do? And honestly, it's like, just get really good at your doll. Like that, even just being able to tell yourself, I want to recreate something that sounds like this. And if you're able to kind of get close to it, like that's such a big achievement, you know? So I think just practice, just doing, doing it over and over and slowly you just get better at it. I, I mean, I guess like anything else, but yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And you've worked on so many different uh, visual projects, you know, such as film, fashion films, commercials, you know, feature films, TV shows. So how did you first get into this? So I know you said you were studying this, but was it sort of a uh, natural transition into work or was there a different way to get into that? I feel like the the way that I approached it is different from other advice that I've heard people give. Like I've heard people say, go broad and just become this jack of all trades that a, a moment's notice can be called upon to do anything. And I feel like in my experience, especially being a woman, I just felt like it was very daunting, you know, seven years ago to be like, I want to be a film composer and I want to score big films. You know, it was just, 
it was very hard with the fact that like I hadn't been anyone's assistant. I don't have any ins to the industry. You know, like I don't have any like family friends or like people that I can call on. So I was like, well, what's one thing that I do really love and that I see an opening for? And that was working with fashion. And so when I was still in New York um, before moving here and I'd left my job, I essentially decided because I had friends that worked in fashion that I was going to just start writing music for them. And, you know, they were making short fashion films and starting to be, you know, be part of fashion week and, you know, small part, small respects. And I was like, listen, just let me write the music for you and let me just kind of do that. And, you know, fast forward a few years later, all of a sudden I have a reel and I have work to show for and, you know, and people talk. So then it was kind of this great organic growth. And my first experience with film was actually a fashion documentary called The First Monday in May. So that was a very kind of natural uh, progression into that. And from there, I think, you know, just putting yourself out there as that and starting to call yourself a film composer or starting to call yourself a producer and stuff like that, I think just kind of snowballed. And again, you know, it's been seven years, so it didn't just kind of happen overnight, but I, it's, it definitely feels like things now are at a really, really good point with especially uh, TV shows and feature films and stuff. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Amazing. And it's something that we hear a bit on, on the podcast as well is like, you know, everyone's sort of created their own opportunity in whatever way that has been. And it's often been a really different story to everyone else. And, and it sounds that way with you, you know, approaching, uh, approaching friends that were working in fashion and then kind of creating, uh, creating a space for you in that space, uh, which is awesome because I think it's, well, it is so important in this industry to kind of do that for yourself because no one else is going to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in the situation actually that you get approached for something, so so say that is a, um, a fashion film uh, project that uh, someone would like you to work on, how do you usually uh go about that? How do you, how do you start? Is it, do you get given like a brief or, or a feel or something and then you kind of work off that or what's the process? I feel like that's how the process used to be. And, you know, I would get essentially a brief or ask them for some sort of mood board, whether it was like a Pinterest board or, but I feel like I've haven't worked with fashion quite as much just because one of the things that actually made me transition away from it was that there's not much value put in music. And it was always kind of a very last minute thing. And, you know, unless you are a big band that's getting a license for Prada or Gucci, which, you know, is a whole different can of worms. And most of the time at this point, they choose celebrities that they can also feature in their campaigns. And it's a whole other thing. It just didn't really, it wasn't really a viable way of making a living. So doing the film stuff, I after a few years, I was able to get a film agent. So most of the time, they're the ones that are, kind of communicating with people. And especially if anyone reaches out to me, I usually put them in touch with them or then they bring in work as well. Even though, you know, I can't stress this enough because everyone thinks that getting an agent means that you're never going to have to look for work again. But like a lot of, most of the work that comes in for me and I think for most composers is still generated by me, you know, making contact and networking and meeting new people. And so it really depends on a film project Sometimes the first thing will be scripts. So you'll be able to read a script. If it's a TV series, maybe they have a pilot that they've shot that you can watch. Sometimes um, they haven't even shot anything. So it's like 
they or there's just like a kind of like a script Bible, you know, there's just kind of like a description of what it's going to be. So it varies a lot. Whereas for smaller projects and ads, you know, it's usually a brief and then you kind of work off of that. And sometimes there's visual, sometimes there's not. So really the answer is it, it varies so much. And there's not, and personally, there's not really a way that I prefer. Like sometimes it's great to be approached and they're like, we have this cut, we have this film, we have this thing and it's locked and never changing again and you go at it. Other times mm. it's like, oh, we're just starting out and we want you into the process when we're filming. So you know, everything's going to shift as you write. So then you have to be super flexible. And that's really nice too sometimes. So the answer is, it's just, it's always different. Yeah. But, you know, you one never stops kind of putting their heads out there and just, you know, I think that if one just lived in a cave and expected to get hired, it's it's a little unrealistic. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And yeah, we've heard that also, you know, the importance of uh, networking and it's good to kind of reiterate that because I think, a lot of people um, feel like if you have a certain level of skill, people are just going to come to you and just find you. But that really doesn't happen, does it? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I feel like social media has made it easier to not not necessarily stand out, but to have direct communication with people. And, you know, it's a, mm. it's a blessing and a curse because that means that somebody will DM me and then I might read it and then forget about it. And then I've had people kind of follow up upset. And it's like, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, like, can you email me? So that's usually my (laughs) answer to people like, please email me and I'll get back to you ASAP. But, you know, that level of interaction is really great. So I think that social media is a really great tool for communication, especially now that everyone's had to be at home for the last Mm. year. So. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think, um, yeah, for me, uh, you know, MPW wouldn't wouldn't exist at all if it wasn't for social media. I think, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it can be a, a blessing and a curse. I think sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I feel like everyone that is active on social media can feels the same about that. True. <laughs> Actually, you mentioned that um, uh, fashion film wasn't really your your favorite. So what is your favorite sort of visual project to work on? Well, I, I feel like at the time when I was doing the fashion films, it was, you know, it, I loved it and it was really great. At the, at the moment, I've been enjoying doing TV shows a lot, like narrative TV. And I'm currently on two feature films as well that are both horror. And, um, and that's oh, been wow. super fun because... <laughs> You finally get, you know, my the whole thing, my whole career, people have always been like, oh, that sounds a little too dark. So like, it's always been a matter of making things like brighter and happier. Whereas this is the first time that I'm like, oh my God, I actually get to go in and nobody can tell me that because I can make like the darkest sounds. And so I don't know. I think just working in a narrative space, a longer form narrative space has really been great. Yeah, right. Cool. And actually, do you... Uh, in your course and stuff, do they teach you how to make things really dark and like give you tips for that and, and how to approach different types of film? Or is that something you you learn more on the job? You mean in school when I was in college? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like they they try to kind of prep you for that or, you know, they try. There, there's definitely like tricks and ways of like, you know, making people feel certain ways, you know, like a major chord will be happy and a minor's chord will be sad. But I think that that was kind of the extent of it. Or there was, I I think there might've been an assignment where we were supposed to do like five moods 
with different orchestration. And it's like, you know, using a clarinet can be helpful and using violin can be sad. And, you know, like, so I remember doing something like that, but I think so much of it is just, just sensibility and just kind of Mm. trusting your gut. And then in terms of actually being able to execute it, I think that just comes with practice and just kind of doing the job, as you said. And when you're creating, do you have a a sort of preference between synthetic sounds and natural sounds and how do you uh, approach sort of the mix between the two? I think it depends on whether I'm doing something for myself or for film. For my own music, I think I get to use a lot more natural sound and a lot more field recordings and I use my voice more, I feel like, on my own music. And, you know, because in a way I'm not, I'm, I'm fulfilling my own creative vision. Uh, Whereas with film, a lot of the things that I get hired for are kind of a hybrid mix of maybe some chamber instruments and electronics, but definitely heavy on the electronics. So I think I get to play less with organic sounds on film stuff. And also most of the time there's just there just isn't the time to record stuff. You know, if it's episodic TV, something like Good Girls, for example, like it started airing, they they aired episode two um, on NBC last night. And, you know, we're not even halfway through the season of scoring it. So the, you know, the heat is on. So it's like they're filming it while it's already on TV and the schedule is set and you just have to get it done. You know, you you spot, you like go through an episode on a Monday and by Thursday or Friday, you need to have the music in, or usually by Thursday, then Friday, you need to do revisions and then Monday they're mixing it. So it's, it's a very wow. fast turnaround. So I think that it just, sometimes you just don't have the time to kind of sit and really play with a lot of sounds that aren't kind of more in the box or, um, but with my own music, I definitely use a lot of more kind of like a mix of synthetic and natural sound for sure. Cool, cool. So in the situation that where you don't you don't get to record much, you know, would you recommend getting like a, a sound library or kind of access to lots of different recordings? I think it's more just uh, having you know samples that you know that you know inside and out. And I know a lot of people love buying sample libraries, and I mean I do too. But I feel like I try to really learn the ones that I have, or at least be aware mm. of the sounds that they have, because there's nothing. There's nothing more daunting than sitting in front of your, you know, empty DAW and you're like, I have thou- tens of thousands of potential sounds that I can pull in. So I think you would just have to be very specific. And what's really helpful at the beginning of every project is building a template for the sounds of the show or of the project. So it's like once you commit to a certain set of sounds that, you know, work together, it's then easy to go back in and be like, oh, this motif or that motif or whatever was played on this or that instrument. So I feel like that's also helpful. But yeah, I I try to stay away from, I honestly even stay away from like splice and sounds because I just, I'd rather make newer sounds just to not sound like everything else. And also just yeah. to, I don't know, it's, it's a slippery slope when you start <laughs> to do too much of that. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And, and I guess everyone has a, a different approach and, of course, and yeah. that's really, that's really cool. And I, I, there's a lot of power, I think, in knowing your, your tools really well, rather than kind of bombarding yourself with too many things. Uh, Cause then you have to learn how to use uh, the different things and whether it's plugins or, or samples or whatever it is. So yes, yeah, so that's a good thing for kind of people to consider. 
And when you're field recording, like if it's for your own music, what gear do you use to do that? Honestly, I still have an old uh, Zoom H4N recorder that I've had since uh, grad school. And it still hasn't been the bullet. And, it, you know, it's one of those things where it's like I've seen new models come out and I've seen all these new, you know, there's even like ambisonic recording and 3D immersive audio recording devices now. But this one works well and it's survived so many falls and so many trips. <laughs> and, and you know, it the quality of it works well for what I do with it. You know, I usually... Yeah manipulate the sound anyway. So it doesn't have to be like the crispest of sound. I think that if I was working as obviously like a Foley artist or something that was reliant on better quality, I would maybe upgrade. But I still use my trusted friend and I have the little furry thing that goes over it, which is such an essential part of, especially because so much of it is of what I record is outside. So but yeah, just that. And honestly, sometimes I just use my iPhone because sometimes you're in a pinch and you're out and about and you're like, I just need to record something now. So uh, that'll sometimes be my recorder of choice too. Wow. Oh, cool. Good to know. And when when are those situations when you're when you're like, I need to record this sound? Is it like a street sound or is it what yeah. would inspire that? trying to think you know it'll be something like I'll be walking to pick up food and there'll be I don't know there'll be some sound happening there'll be like the clicking of something or maybe like a something's gotten stuck or I don't know there, there's yeah. just like sounds of things and that's when it's like oh this sounds really cool let me even just jot this down as an idea like a rhythmic idea or an idea for this or that so and honestly lately watching things like listening to things and playing with blocks and doing things with my daughter. There's a lot of really cool sounds that happen when toys fall and things fall on, you know, glasses fall on plastic, you know, who knows? So, <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that shows that you can, you know, there's never a set time for creativity and, and that might come yeah. to you when you're, when you're walking down the street or yeah, when your daughter drops a toy. So that's... Yeah, not all is lost. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool, cool. And with your own personal performances, I've seen that they often uh, or can include sound installation and spatial audio elements and, and that kind of thing. So what is your process in creating something like this? And is it usually the installation that comes first or is it all inspired by the music? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I've had it happen both ways, actually. Um, two examples that come to mind is I performed at the LA Public Library with another amazing artist called Suzanne Chani, and I knew that it was going to be a quadraphonic show. So I knew that I had these four speakers. And so for that, I created a piece. And the whole installation aspect of it was that I was playing something and I had programmed for iPads to have XY pads and people could trigger sounds and essentially place the sounds within the, you know, the four speakers space. So it was kind of like, oh, wow. so it was a sound bath. But then if somebody wanted to pick up this iPad, they could bounce the sounds of a pizzicato cello around the space and do stuff like that. So with that specific instance, the venue came first and I was like, okay, I'm going to do something specifically for that. Another example, actually later that month was I was set to play Moogfest and I was supposed to play just a normal venue. And then all of a sudden they were like, well, you do spatial audio. Do you want to play our, what was it? 
8.2, was it 8.2? It was some like not super common format of um, immersive space. And I was like, well, of course, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll play right after, right before Richard Devine and right before William Bozinski. Like, sure, I'll do that. But, you know, that was one of those things where it's like they asked me the week before at the time, like my biggest gig ever. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So at that point, I kept my set list that I'd been practicing. So I like kept my set list and I just made some elements of it immersive just because I was like, I have to utilize the space, but I don't want to change everything from scratch and not feel confident. So I think it just really depends on how comfortable you are kind of like starting from nothing when something else comes up. But I, th I think the, the working for the space that you have will always kind of end up being more inspiring so kind of like the first option i would mm. gravitate more towards i think right right wow and uh yeah it sounds like pretty um like daunting opportunities that you'd suddenly have to say yes to but i guess you you know you want to make the most of most of that and and get as much as you can out of it but um yeah, so much preparation, uh, I would think. Yeah, but you know, if you're when when you're a perfectionist, I think that in in as much as you hate it because nothing will any nothing will ever be perfect, but at the same time it's just like the challenge of trying to make things as like precise and good as possible is also, you know, it's that in itself is a bit of a rush. So. Yeah. 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 No, I guess so. I guess so. And and what software do you use to to create something like that? To do the immersive stuff, to be honest, Ableton has a really great, some great Max for Live plugins. Like there's one called uh, Surround Panner that's really great. Um, I've used Max MSP in the past, but the the debugging and just making sure that it works consistently in Max MSP is always really hard. And when I was in grad school, I had the advantage of having, you know, PhD students around that would be like, oh yeah, let me just like triple check it for you. And, you know, they would be like, oh, this could be better. And things like that. But then since then, I just find that either doing Ableton or then Pro Tools is pretty good with being able to do immersive audio, at least playback, because you can reverse phases and you can do all sorts of um, manipulations. And now, you know, there's a lot of plugins. There's another one, what's it called, that works in Logic and Pro Tools, I think. It's called um, Ambihead, and you can make things binaural. So, you know, things are very different than they were. So that's the kind of stuff that I use for that. And then for my own writing, I usually use Ableton just because I find it's the easiest one for me to kind of write in. And then for film stuff, I actually use Cubase because Cubase is really great when it comes to scoring for picture. And I just, I can't get down with logic. I don't know what it is. I just can't wrap my head around how it looks and I've just never used it. So yeah, so there you go. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, there's a few things there. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. And if someone were to kind of enter this space and, to, you know, want to create music for, for audio, what would be your one sort of biggest piece of advice for them? I think, I mean, I've already said it a few times, but just the practice and I think also being patient with yourself, you know, when, if you're frustrated, stopping and realizing how far it, because it's really hard to realize how far you've come in your kind of journey of learning to do things when you're in the thick of kind of like a, a meltdown or a moment of like uncertainty. So I think just looking back and giving yourself credit and just, you know, being patient. I think patience is something that I still struggle with. Just like I sometimes I'm so impatient for something to sound good or for like a demo of a track to 
be ready to send off or, you know, something that it's just, you just have to be very meticulous. And, mm. and yeah, so I think just being patient, just do practicing and, you know, if all else fails, then just get up and take a walk for five minutes and come back. <laughs> that's always helpful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think that's, there's a lot of, lot of good advice there. And one definitely of, uh, just kind of leaving whatever it is that you're doing for a little bit, just to clear your head. Cause I think sometimes you can, especially when you have deadlines, I guess, just kind of try and sit with it and, and make it work when yeah. sometimes that's, um, doing the opposite of what you wanted to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we've covered quite a bit and uh, we have a question from our audience, which uh, we we can go through now before finishing up. So there's a question from Rachel Wilson. So she asked, what is your process of translation from what you see and how you think it should sound? Very, very good and interesting question. I think that when working on film, on film things, it's about how I feel about it, but it's a lot more about how the director feels about it. So the one of the first things is, you know, often one will do a spotting session. So they'll, you know, you'll sit down with the director or you'll virtually connect and you'll talk through what they had in mind, or very often there'll be temp music in. So that temp music will inform kind of where their head is at or where the editor's head is at. And I think that that's always really important. Granted, you know, temp music isn't necessarily like set in stone and oftentimes like things completely change, but I think it's good to come from that, from knowing what they had in mind. And I think the, what I do personally is I try to kind of reinterpret that into how I would do it. And you know, the, sometimes it works on the first try and then it's just a matter of like doing a few revisions or like a few notes and other times, you know, they'll hear it and they'll be like, no, I don't like it. Like, I think we need to start from scratch. So the worst thing that can happen if somebody doesn't like it is that you have to start over. And as long as you have it in you to not be precious about your own music when you're working for someone else, I think that, you know, it, you just take it as a like, okay, well, let's try this again. And, you know, just take it as a learning experience. But, but yeah, I think just the kind of knowing what my sound is and being a you know listening to the director or like what or the person who's in charge like having them tell me what they want I think is the way to really like interpret it awesome thank you and yeah one thing you mentioned there about um you know being uh, or, or not being precious about your music and I think that's something that I guess would come with with time because maybe at the start you you might take it personally every time and, and feel like it's actually you being terrible at your job, which it's not about at all. It's just the person kind of having different expectations. Do you have any any sort of guidance on how you deal with that? Because I feel like, it, yeah, it, it could be maybe a damaging thing at the start, uh, but something you have to get over. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting that you, what you mentioned at the beginning of like being able to recognize when something isn't for you. And I've had this conversation with a few musicians who have tried to do scoring. And I think when you're writing music for yourself, it's very different because you're essentially doing what works for you and what you like. And it's a much, it's a very different muscle and it's a very different kind of process to be able to take this rejection and, you know, of something that you've written and not, as you said, take it personally. So, I, I mean, mm. I think it's it comes down a lot to personalities and just having a personality where you're kind of like, 
you know, you might think it's the greatest piece of music, but being able to tell yourself like, yes, but I got hired to mm. elevate someone else's vision. And I think that just being able to do that is really, really important. And again, I think it, it's a skill that can be learned, but I also just think that if somebody doesn't have the openness to do that and, you know, I think it's just an ego, maybe an ego thing for good or for, yeah. good or for bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 I guess so. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And it's been, yeah, really fascinating to see how you, you go through your process and, and uh, you know, and your background on how you got here. What else is on for the rest of your day? Rest of the day. So um, working a little bit more on one of the horror films, mm. just because we have a preview coming up. And then uh, just probably looking at an episode of Good Girls and then maybe sneaking in a little bit of working on my record, my upcoming record. And then I need to get some music out to a violist and a cellist to play a remote session on, which I've been putting off all weekend. So yes, right. that's, that's the rest that's of my day. That's quite a bit actually. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, I, uh, I feel like I have this endless to-do list. Like every time I feel like I cross three things off, like all of a sudden there's two more things on there and I'm like, oh, am I ever going to get through? <laughs> but you yeah. know, one oh, day well, at a time. I guess it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely cannot complain. I'm, I'm extremely grateful for all the, the work and creative projects I've been able to be on. So especially right now. So um, and I'm super grateful for your great questions. I, it, you know, it's so nice to chat with somebody when the questions are really great. So thank you. Oh, a pleasure. Pleasure. It's been, yeah, lovely having you on here. So I'll let you get back to the rest of your day and all the projects that you're working on. And, uh, and yeah, we'll uh, take care. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.